Hi there. How y'all doing today? Great to see you. Uh, let's just agree together, nobody's going to check the score of my Niners game. Deal? Do I hear an amen? Yeah, okay. We're not going to check the score. I called Dylan at halftime in between the nine and uh, this worship experience. Dylan, our son, he's at home and Dana and the family came to church last night. Dana's off playing a city league basketball game this morning, so I just called to see how things are going over there at the house, you know, a bunch of kids left by themselves, and so Dylan answers the phone. I said, Dylan, what are you doing? I'm getting ready to watch the game, Dad. I got all my 49ers gear on, you know, I'm getting, getting ready, and I said, well, is Preston, your twin brother, is he going to cheer with you for the 49ers? He goes, no, Dad, he's cheering for the, he's cheering for the Panthers, and I was like, really? Your twin brother's cheering against you? Yeah, Dad, can we throw Preston out of the house? I just laughed, and I said, no, we, we won't do that. Just like we won't throw you out of the church if you're cheering for the Panthers today. Go Niners, right? Amen? Yeah. So we've been working together on building margin in our lives. It's the whole point of the series. We're not just, this isn't just something we're talking about. We don't want to just talk about building margin. We actually want to build margin in our lives. So far, we've worked on building physical margin. That's eating right, sleeping well exercising our bodies, those three things together will build physical margin for us. Last weekend we talked about building emotional margin in our lives and there's a lot of things we could do that will build emotional margin. One of the best ones, however, is to submit our lives to the word of God, spending time with him, hearing from him, responding in obedience to him. And I hope that reading plan, those of you who have taken that on, is going well. It's been a ball for me, for our family, and uh, it'll be cool. We're going to read through the whole New Testament in 2014, so keep that up. In particular, working to build emotional margin, interacting with God. Today we're going to work on building time margin in our lives. Building time margin. And show of hands, if you need more time margin in your life. Yeah, my hand is... Uh, yeah, lots and lots of people being honest. Richard Swenson is a medical doctor. He wrote a book called Margin. It's helping resource this series. And I was blown away, like blown away this week to learn that just over 50 years ago, there were these futurists who were looking ahead, peering into their crystal balls, and they predicted that one of the biggest problems for us today would be what we would do with all of our overwhelming amounts of spare time. Seriously. There was actually in 1967 in Senate subcommittee, United States Senate subcommittee testimony, the man testifying claimed that by 1985, people, that's us, 1985, people would be working just 22 hours a week, 27 weeks a year. Most people, he testified, would be retired by the age of 38. How many of you have noticed that nobody's talking like that anymore? Right? They stopped talking like that a long, long time ago because reality is that nobody's even close to being able to just sit around and dream up ways to spend all of their abundant free time hours. Right? Nobody's doing that. Quite to the contrary, I find myself in frequent conversation with people about how in the world do I get just a little bit of free time in my life. You're probably having many of those conversations. Free time hours are plummeting for people, not just in the United States, but the world over. Average work week hours are skyrocketing, 
steeply up and to the right, but it's not supposed to be like that. Progress, technology, was actually supposed to gain us leisure time, not less. One guy said it this way, the modern world of streamlined transportation, instantaneous communication, time-saving technologies was supposed to free us from the dictates of the clock and provide us with increased leisure. Instead, there just never seems to be enough time. And we'd all agree. I love what Henry David Thoreau said. He wrote these words. I love a broad margin to my life. Sometimes in a summer morning, having taken my accustomed bath, I sat in my sunny doorway from sunrise till noon, wrapped in a reverie. And I read that and I go, who in the world has time to do that? Right? Seriously, now, I also found out that Thoreau didn't have a wife or kids, so he could bathe and, you know, sit in the sun half the day. And we don't identify because our modern approach to time is to compress it, to milk it for every single ounce of productivity possible. That's just what we do. We squeeze time. And just listen to how we talk about time. We talk about no time, lack of time, not enough time. We talk frequently about being out of time, don't we? We talk about trying to get more time, borrowing time, incurring time debt, ending up with even less time. And our modern day sense of urgency about time then creates time pressure. How many of us have used that expression in the last week? Time pressure, time stress, which then all falls off of a cliff into crisis time, right? But imagine for a moment that we could delete all the time phrases that we use like those that are actually toxic and replace them with more life-giving expressions of time. Sure, work time is important, but so is discretionary time, so is margin time. Some of that discretionary time, if we had more of it, would be used as leisure time, play time, free time, time off. Some of the hours would be personal time, solitude time. Here's a biggie, just time to think. We would expect that a good portion of that time would be time together, sharing time, family time, couple time, prayer time. Right? That'd be cool if we only had more margin. And at the end of the day, get this, all of our time, it's God's time. It really isn't ours. It's God's time. It ought to be directed by him, used for his purposes, and yet progress, the tyranny of the clock, has us so frequently on the run, so frequently unable to stop and even consider how we could more effectively leverage the time God's given us for his kingdom, for his purposes. We're just on the run. And here's the deal. If we sit back and we do nothing about working hard to reclaim time margin, if we just sort of watch life unfold, I assure you that 12 months from now, you'll show up on this same day and you'll have even less time margin than you do right now. It's just the way life goes. Because you see, progress really tricked us into trusting it. But then progress exhausted us. But we're not helpless. The tyranny of the clock can and even should be resisted. I assert that time margin can and should be reclaimed. I assert that God directs us to reclaim our time 
margin. Look at Psalm 127, verse 2. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. God cares so deeply about our having time margin. And yes, God has designed people to be productive. We're all not just going to quit our jobs and you know, sit around. Work matters to God. Productivity matters to God. God's made us to be productive. But so many people have built their lives and their identities around activities instead of who we are in God's eyes. So many people really have become human doings, not human beings. Which I believe for us necessitates the building of a biblical framework which helps us establish a rhythm in our lives that permits us to be fruitful and productive in balance with being at rest. And folks, this is all how we leverage our time, God's time. Having time margin really, believe it or not, is rooted and established and built on our security and our identity in Jesus Christ. This is an identity in Jesus Christ issue. And we must be, if we ever hope to reclaim time margin, we must become secure and rooted and established and built on everything that Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, not in our performance. Not in what we do, but in everything that Jesus Christ has already done for us, as well as every single thing he's promised is true about us. How loved we are, how accepted we are, no matter what we do or don't do. One of the fastest ways you'll zap your time margin is to step on the performance treadmill and try to please everybody else in your life, live for their approval, their acceptance, their kudos, their affirmation. You won't have any time margin. And God says, no, 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 it's all about me and what I did for you. When to create time margin, it really, at the end of the day, is an identity issue. Now you see, the great news is that the Bible frames this actual biblical pattern for living. A pattern for living that we were intended to follow from the moment that we're born. Because you see, back before Adam and Eve messed up, back before Adam and Eve fell, they lived this way. The very same pattern that Jesus Christ walked out every single day of his earthly existence. Our friends with an organization called 3DM, they actually give us this pattern. They lift it out of the scriptures for us. The learning circle came from 3DM, right? You all remember the learning circle? We've been talking a lot about that. Now I'm going to show you what's called the semicircle. This is sort of spiritual growth by geometry, right? All these geometric shapes. I put the semicircle on your notes page, and here's, where, here's what this semicircle deal looks like. It's a, it's a pendulum, and it starts with rest. The whole thing starts with rest. It doesn't start anywhere, and I'm going to show you this from the scripture, how God intends our lives to start with rest. And then the pendulum swings over here to work. Here's the pendulum right here in the middle, and it swings back and forth. And then on this side, this is the word abide. This is fruit. This, ouch. No one likes this, the word pruning. And this 
is growth. And it all starts with rest. And it comes to us from the book of Genesis chapter 1 starting in verse 26. You can follow along on the screens, in your text, on your smartphone, not looking at the score, remember. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth, all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given you every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all that he had made and he saw that it was very good. And even, check this out, evening passed and morning came marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day, declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. And you fast forward from the Genesis 1 creation account, and you see in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God then placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. And then to Genesis chapter 3, now, Adam and Eve have fallen at this point. Sin has tainted humanity. And check out what happens. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife, that's Adam and Eve, they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? So you see, it was the sixth day God creates humanity and it is of magnificent note that God created humanity not just ordinarily but he created humanity in his image it's called the imago dei that's the latin term for the image of God and God's image is of absolute vital importance anytime we're talking about rest and work and the semicircle anytime we're talking about fruitfulness and time margin the image of God is of utmost importance now see, most of us, when we hear the word image, what do we think of? We think of like a reflection in a mirror. We think about perhaps a portrait reflecting the image of someone. Maybe you think of the last time you snapped a selfie and went like, whoa, that's pretty good looking right there. But that's not the concept of image that God has in mind in Genesis chapter. Rather, a better way to understand image would be to see it more as an imprint or an impression from Genesis chapter one. With the imprint or with the impression of God. Because you see, there's this sense that God actually left his handprint on us when he formed us up out of the clay. Which means that every person on planet Earth carries an indentation on our very being that can only be filled by God's own hand. 
And from the fall of humanity all the way to this very moment, people have been trying to pull away, though, from God's touch, right? They've been trying with everything in them to fill that imprint that only God can fill with all manner of things that just won't fill it, things that fall woefully short. It really is a lot like those memory foam, how many of you have those memory foam, one of those memory foam mattresses? Like your, yeah, that's a memory foam mattress people in here. I'm telling you, Saturday night people, they got memory foam. There's almost the whole room's hands were up. Weird distribution of memory foam on Saturday night. Strange. And the memory foam mattresses, they're, they're pretty, I don't have one, but I hear they're pretty cool. I've messed around with them before, right? Like you put your hand on it and you push down really, really hard and you pull your hand away and what happens? Well, the imprint stays there for a while. I, I heard this fantastic memory foam mattress joke this week, but I, I can't tell you. I will not tell you the memory foam joke and so I'm gonna leave you dangling on that one. Sorry. But that imprint, if you, if you push your hand into your memory foam mattress or at the store and you pull it away, it's going to leave an indentation that nobody else's hand can completely fill except yours. Your wife or your husband can try to put their hand, it won't work. Your kids or whoever, it won't fill it up. And it's just like that with us. We have the impression of God upon our lives, upon our souls that can only be filled by the hand that made us. That's God's hand. And cool deal, way better than memory foam, is that God's impression upon our lives, upon our souls, it never fades. And in Genesis chapter three, here comes God and he's on a walk in the garden. Cool of the day, sun is setting. It's the most glorious scene that you can possibly imagine. And what's God wanna do more than he wants to do anything else? What's he wanna do? He wants to be with Adam and Eve, doesn't he? He just wants to hang out with Adam and Eve. And it's a regular event. This is a routine, a pattern that they had established in their lives. God would show up at the end of the day and would go on a walk with his beloved. God actually showed up and made himself visible to Adam and Eve so that they could feel connected to their maker. This very tangible reminder. Hey, look, guys, it's my hand that fills the imprint upon each one of you. Nobody else's, nothing else's. And that's how it's supposed to be with God, the creator, us, his created since the very beginning of time. And that time of retreat and rest after a hard day's work, it wasn't an optional thing for Adam and Eve and God. It wasn't one of those like, if you have time, show up. If not, no big deal. It was hardwired into us. God created us all to live that way. And on this particular evening, Adam and Eve, there were no shows. They're hiding over in the shrubbery from the hand of the one alone who could fill them, who could make them complete. And lots of us know the story. It's pretty familiar, right? Adam and Eve, they then have this confrontation with God and what happened. Adam and Eve then were cursed to work among the thorns and the thistles, sweating from backbreaking labor, hot noonday sun. But that is not how this was intended to go. Not even close. And you have to understand, work was not the curse. Work was not the curse. Because you see, go back to the beginning, before the fall, before Adam and Eve decided to go it alone without the hand of God in their lives, God had given them instructions about caring for the garden. Work was assigned before the fall. 
Every single one of us were designed for intentional, productive activity which creates a sense of fruitfulness in our lives. We were made for work. Which, by the way, has bearing on a country. A country in particular like our country. I don't know if you saw the stats on Friday. Just Friday they came out. Over 90 million people in the United States are out of the workforce. Over 90 million people in the United States are not working. Do you know that's close to a third of the American population who are out of the workforce? And that's alarming, especially spiritually alarming, because God made us, he intends us for work. That's how he built us. And so when a whole bunch of people aren't working, that has dramatic bearing on the direction and course a country takes. But even more important than work is what happened on the seventh day. And it's this word right here, and it's rest. So God creates man and woman on the sixth day. He sets them into this wonderful garden filled with wild animals, delicious foods, spectacular stuff. He gives them instructions on how to care for the plants and animals in the garden. He says, go be fruitful, go multiply. And on the first full day of existence for Adam and Eve, God rested. First full day of existence for Adam and Eve, God rests. All of creation did, as a matter of fact. This well-deserved break in activity. That was our, humanity's, first full day, and it was a day of rest. It started with rest. And then what happened? The pendulum swings out of rest, and then the work begins which reveals this incredibly important principle of life. And it's this, now listen very carefully, because this will kind of twist you up if you're not careful. We're designed by God to work from our rest, not to rest from our work. You get that? We're designed by God to work from our rest, not rest from our work. And most of us get that exactly backwards, right? We run as hard as we can through our work because we got this vacation coming up and we're just on a dead sprint and then we like collapse into the rest and God says, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 no. It's not supposed to be, have you ever done that by the way? Yeah. It's not supposed to be that way. You work out of a place of rest. Margin matters to God. He cares deeply about this. God's healthy starting place for us is a place of rest. It's rest, then work. But so many people, this guy included, have it exactly backwards. Because for so many people, work ethic is a source of pride. Do not raise your hand if work ethic is a source of pride for you. Do not raise your hand. But it is for so many people. And you know what some people even do? Probably no one in this room, but some people even equate their work ethic with godliness, right? And I'll just work my way to godliness. I'll show you how godly I am by how hard I work, but that's not true godliness because true godliness is imitating God. True godliness is imitating God, patterning our lives after him. And God says, hey, time out. Rest is of utmost importance. 
So much so that God lists the rest deal in his top 10 list. The Sabbath command from the Ten Commandments, another word for Sabbath is rest, right? And God puts the command, not option, the command to rest, he puts it in the same list as things like don't steal, don't kill, don't sleep with people who aren't your spouse. But when you do the math, what that means is that being a workaholic is to God just as bad as being a murderer or somebody who sleeps with people who aren't their spouse. God puts weight, a lot of weight, on the rest deal. And the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ is to be marked by non-optional rest. Because you see, in order for us to fulfill everything that God has called us to fulfill, in order for us to be fruitful, spiritually fruitful, we must begin in a place of rest, a place of margin. He's given us so much to accomplish, we must start there, abiding in him, being established in him, remaining in him. It's the only way we'll ever be completely successful in everything that he's given us to do. It starts in rest. But we, we miss it. How many of us, for example, on January 1st, took the calendar of the whole year and scheduled our days of rest and relaxation before we scheduled anything else? I didn't, right? Work is all in there, and then it's like, okay, I'll find some time to Sabbath and rest, and, and God says, uh-uh, it, it starts with rest, it starts with margin. And every single one of us is facing pressure to be successful. I believe that every person alive is actively interested in growing their enterprise, building their businesses, reaching more and more people with the gospel. That's good, very good. In particular, it's good because we're designed by God to be fruitful, to be growing. Growth is a sign of life. But in order for us to be productive the way God expects us to be productive, we have to live out the rhythm of this semicircle and it starts with rest and it moves to work. It starts with abiding and moves to fruitfulness. It starts with ouch pruning and moves to growth. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 15 starting in verse one. And Jesus says, look, I'm the true grapevine. My father is the gardener which means he's the one who does the pruning. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more fruit. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you, so remain in me. And you wanna know another word for remain? It's this word abide right here. Abide and remain are the exact same Greek word. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Abide in me and I will abide in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. That's us. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain, unless you abide in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not abide or remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and it withers up. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. 
When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory, all glory, as a matter of fact, to my Father, Jesus says. It's the rhythm of the swinging pendulum. And it's all about time, and it's all about margin, and we cannot and we will not bear fruit unless and until we spend time abiding. But we cannot stay put in the abide mode because what happens to branches that don't eventually bear fruit? Well, they get cut off and they get thrown into the fire and that's not fun. And understand this, growth is a byproduct of the proper establishment of rhythm in one's life. And growth is not the same as bearing eternal spiritual fruit. But lots of people mistake spiritual growth for spiritual fruit, but that's not the case. Yes, we must grow before we can ever see fruit. Growth must happen before fruit is ever produced. But growth comes from knowing how to abide. In lots of ways, I'm just introducing the semicircle to you. You're going to hear me talk more and more about it in the coming weeks and months. But it's the framework that we want to lay over this whole concept of adding time margin, building time margin in our lives. And ironically, I don't have much time. But I do want to step through a few of these rhythm and action steps that we can all go walk out immediately in order to build some time margin. First one, pl just plan for the unexpected. I won't even unpack this one. The second one, though, if you want to build time margin in your life, you're going to have to learn how to say this word. And so we're going to practice it together. Ready? One, two, three, no. Yeah. We're going to have to learn how to say no. Because the opportunities are overabundant, right? There's like a hundred good things that we could do in a day. But if we try to do a hundred good things in a day, you know what's going to happen? We're not going to be able to get a hundred done and we're going to do the whatever number we do get done pathetically. And so learn, learn how to say no. And yeah, if you're a people pleaser, if your personality is inclined that way and you hate disappointing people, that, that's a hard word to say. No, I can't be there. No, I won't go there. No, I don't. I can't. No, no, no. Right? But you just sort of shrug your shoulders and you just get used to disappointing people. You're like, ah. <laughs> really? <laughs> right? I, I have to say no. Because by saying no to your good thing, your good opportunity... I'm reserving margin for the great that I think God's calling me to. Learn to say no. Simplicity and contentment. This gets really radical really quick. It just does. But we just came out of Christmas, and, and if you're anything like us, you, you end up buying these things and then having to set up these things and then maintaining these things that consume huge amounts of time, right? This giant time suck, right? A bunch of iPods turned up from Santa Claus over at our house. And, and, and you know, so I got all these kids who need their iPods set up, but it's not as simple as just turning it on and setting it up because you got to have an Apple ID and you got to get an email and then you're like, oh my gosh. And then it doesn't work for some reason. And I like Mr. iPod, you know, what do I know? I don't know. I, I don't know. Dad, please help. But what, what if, and this really, this sounds radical and it's going to, you're going to go like, oh, Hopkins, shut up. But what if we bought less stuff? What if we bought less stuff that required less setting up time, that required less maintaining time? And what kind of margin would that add to our lives? 
Try this one. Try disconnecting. Number four. On the day that is your Sabbath, however you build the Sabbath, however you, you build your day of rest, right? It's a command, remember, not an option. However you build that, don't just rest from doing stuff, rest from technology too. Like turn off your phone, take off your watch, leave your computer closed, shut the TV off. Like disconnect, rest from even all of that input. Because you see, the goal of resting, the goal of Sabbath is abiding, remaining in Christ, not remaining in technology. Number eight is uh, particularly challenging. Leaving you hanging on all these. Pick the longest checkout line. And you're like, hey, wait a minute, that's counterintuitive. I thought we want to have more time, so I want to go to the shortest so I can be on to the next thing. But in particular, if you're someone like me, a type A or a choleric personality, there's something that God does that's worthy when you actually force yourself to stop. And I try to do this with some regularity. I will pick the longest, and it is so hard. It is so hard. But there's something that God does in my soul and in your soul when you wait in the longest line. Something that he teaches us about time and patience and discipline. There's something God teaches us. You want to just keep going, stand in the longest line. Well, also try admitting that you're wrong a couple of times a day. Right? Try listening to somebody without interrupting, not even once. Let them finish their sentence. And that actually fuels Margin, there's something that God does in our souls that fuels margin. Nine and ten are pretty obvious, but this is really where it lands number 11. We want to build time margin in our lives so that we actually leave room for God to, quote, interrupt. And he's not really interrupting anything because all the time is really his time anyway, so we're kind of on his time, but, but that's the goal. Having the margin of time in our lives so that we're able to hear from God. So that we're able to respond to him in obedience. So we're not just so on a tear that God could be grabbing us by the front of our shirt and we miss it. Because we're not really present. We're just moving through a series of events to get to the next thing. God says, no, 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 no. I want you to have time. I want you to have space so that I can interrupt, so that I can break in, so that I can say, bam. I've got an assignment for you, and it's this person who's standing right in front of you, or it's that person right over there, and if you just stop for a moment what you're doing, so driven and so compelled, and would you just go over there? So that we actually wake up in the morning, and we look forward to how God wants to interrupt our day. How God wants to interrupt the gift of hours that he's given us. How God wants to interrupt and direct us for his purposes, for his kingdom. That's the point. That's why we're building margin, in particular time margin. Take your stuff and set it aside, and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Just settle into some things that you've been thinking about with the Lord, if you would.
So God, here we are, humbly acknowledging that we don't really have any time, but that it's all yours. Every second, every minute, every hour, every day is a gift from you. And we want to steward that gift of time really, really well. And we don't just want to be those people who are living life on a tear, running from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing, never fully present in any of them. God, we want to rest and we want to abide. And this is hard to pray, certainly, but God, we, we want to be pruned by you. And then, God, from that place, we want to be sent out to bear fruit, to be productive, to work, to grow. God, we want to swing back into a season of rest and a season of abiding and a season of pruning. And then we want to move back out. And we want that rhythm to mark our lives because it's your rhythm. You created us that way, hardwired it into us. It's the way you live. It's the way your son Jesus lives. And it's the way you long for your disciples to live. And God, it's going to require baby steps. We're not going to get this right like this afternoon. We want to start to. And so that's why we're committing together to take baby steps. To do some things differently. To think differently. But God, we really humbly ask that we would get this right. That we would truly yearn to imitate you because that's what godliness is. We want to imitate you. We want to be more like you, even down to the amount of time margin that we carry. And so God, we say, interrupt us. Please, interrupt us. Because we believe you have fantastic stuff in store for us. Want to hear you and we want to respond in obedience. Help us, Jesus, to do that, please.